Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your presence with us. Be still, my soul. Find rest, my soul. Take courage, my heart. We bless your name, Lord, that you can put stillness into our hearts so that we can hear your voice. We ask you that you speak to us today in such a way that our lives will have really been met by you. We ask you for that, that miracle of you speaking one word from the pulpit, and yet that word speaks to every person in the complexity and depths of our own individual experience. We thank you that you can do that, and you do that faithfully. So we present ourselves to you. We ask you that you would speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Please turn with me to Isaiah chapter 30 again. We've been on this passage. The theme has to do, do with the church at war. And we spoke about the terrible burden of emptiness. The emptiness that comes when we are consumed by idols. Yeah? Um, and so I'd like to read uh, with you Isaiah chapter 30. We won't read all, but we will read um, certain verses. Verse 6 onwards, the oracle concerning the beasts of the Negev. Through the land of distress and anguish, from whence come lioness and lion, viper and, vi and flying serpent, they carry their riches on the backs of young donkeys and their treasures on camel humps to a people who cannot profit them, even Egypt whose help is vain and empty. Yeah? Empty because they're buying idols. Therefore, I call her Rahab, who has been exterminated, or Rahab, who does nothing. Now go, write it on a tablet before them, and inscribe it on a scroll, that it may serve in the time to come as a witness forever. For this is a rebellious people, false sons, sons who refuse to listen to the instruction of the Lord, who say to the seers, you must not see visions, and to the prophets, you must not prophesy to us what is right, speak to us pleasant words or smooth words, Prophesy illusions. Before we go on, I want to point out to, to, the, to, 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 to all of us, these verses speak of a certain pace of movement, right? A space of movement. How do you describe that pace? It's hasty. Yeah, it's hasty. It's driven. It's, a, it's driven by a certain kind of fear. And what Isaiah was basically saying is that uh, Israel was going, spending its, its, uh, its resources on, on Egypt's help. Yeah? And so they take their burdens and they go through very dangerous territory through the, through the deserts because there's some movement there that's driven by fear, right? driven by shame. Uh, and, and, and what Isaiah is saying is this, these empty things that you are, you are investing in are a burden to you. It's a paradox that something can be empty and, and burdensome at the same time. But there's a way in which Israel was, it was, was, was panicky. And it's in haste. Yeah? So, so the, 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 the description for that kind of movement, I think, would be perhaps haste. Yeah? 
haste. Hasty because we are afraid. Hasty to be able to assuage our fears or our own needs with uh, idols. Get out of the way, verse 11. Turn aside from the path, these people are saying. Let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. Therefore, thus, the Holy, thus says the Holy One of Israel, since you have rejected this word and have put your trust in oppression and guile and have relied on them, therefore this iniquity will be to you like a breach about to fall, a bulge in a high wall, whose collapse comes suddenly in an instant, whose collapse is like the smashing of a potter's jar, so ruthlessly shattered that a shirt will not be found among its pieces to take fire from a heart or to scoop water from a cistern. For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel has said, in repentance and rest you will be saved. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you are not willing. And you said, no, for we will flee on horses, therefore you shall flee, and you will ride on swift horses, therefore those who pursue you shall be swift. One thousand will flee at the threat of one man, you will flee at the threat of five until you are left as a flag on a mountaintop, as a signal on a hill. And therefore the Lord longs to be gracious to you. And the whole pace of the text changes, yeah? Fleeing, 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 fleeing. And then the, the Lord just arrests the heart of Israel. And the prophet quietens Israel's heart down and says, therefore the Lord longs to be gracious to you. And therefore he waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. How blessed are those who long or wait for Him. That's been a theme that's been coming during our worship, right? O people in Zion, inhabitants in Jerusalem, you will weep no longer. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. When He hears it, He will answer you. Although the Lord has given you bread of privation and water of oppression, which we spoke about last Sunday, He, your teacher, will no longer hide Himself but your eyes will behold your teacher and your ears will hear a word behind you. This is the way. Walk in it. And whenever you turn to the right and to the left and you will defile your graven images over, overlaid with silver and your molten images plated with gold, you will scatter them as an impure thing and say to them, Be gone. And then he will give you rain for the seed which you will sow in the ground and bread from the yield of the ground and it will be rich. And plenteous, on that day your livestock will graze in roomy pasture. Also the oxen and the donkeys which work the ground will eat salted fodder, which has been winnowed with shovel and fork. On every lofty mountain and on every high hill, there will be streams running with water on the day of the great slaughter, when the towers fall. These are the towers of Assyria. That light of the moon will be as the light of the sun, and the light of the sun will be seven times brighter like the light of seven days on the day that the Lord binds up the fracture of his people and heals the bruise he has inflicted. I'm going to jump, uh, jump uh, uh, a few verses and to verse 29. You will have songs as in the night when you keep the festival and gladness of heart as one marches to the sound of the flute to go to the mountain of the Lord, to the rock of Israel. And the Lord will cause his voice of authority to be heard and the descending of his arm will be seen in fierce anger and in the flame of a consuming fire in cloudbursts, downpour, and hailstones. For at the voice of the Lord, Assyria will be terrified. 
when he strikes with the rod, and every blow of the rod of punishment which the Lord will lay on him will be with the music or to the rhythm of tambourines and lyres, and in battles brandishing weapons, he will fight them. That's a very interesting verse that I'd like to end our, our time together on. But first of all, we see this haste and the, the haste that's driven by idols. And we saw how idols actually are not, are not passive instruments. They're actually active. They eat up our substance, eat up our lives. And they are very, very active. They're like viruses. They actually drive you. And what's interesting is that um, Isaiah was saying that even as your, 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 the pace of your life is hasty, it's constantly running away from things or flight and, or, 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 um, or driven by these idols, you will actually end up empty and uh, burdened as well. So there's, a, there's this these series of paradox. You're empty but, and yet burdened. You know? you're, you're running away and so your enemies will be faster against you. And it's, it's, it's interesting that how our idols give us that ironic kind of punishment. They punish us in a different way. You run to your, for your idols, the idols will make you run. You know, that kind of, kind of thing. And so, so God says, says, I have a different kind of life for you. But for that to happen, you need to be healed of your hastiness. You have to heal, be healed of your idols. And uh, we spoke a few weeks ago about repentance and rest, changing the whole rhythm of life, changing the whole pace of life, stopping it there and rest. We sang about that today during our worship. And then verse 18, the Lord longs to be gracious to you and he waits on high to have compassion of you. We spoke about the bread of privation. We spoke about the, the waters of oppression that we can sometimes end up, for a while at least, experiencing. But he says this, Although the Lord gives you bread of privation and water of oppression, He, your teacher, will no longer hide Himself, but your eyes will behold your teacher and your ears will hear a word behind you. What God is saying is this, I sometimes have to, to, to give you privation, I have to deprive you of the things that you are driven to ask for, even ask for me, that your idols tempt you that they will give. I'll give you privation and you will have oppression. Because this privation and oppression, even though they are not my aim and my goal for you, these things will cause you to be stripped of everything that idols will give you and cause you to come to a place where uh, you are alone with me. And what God says is this, the best thing that will come out of that is that you will find the Holy Spirit, your teacher. And so he uses the capital T in the NASB to describe this teacher. He says that when you are in this spa space where you don't get what you want, where the boss that you hate is still on top of you, when the people that you wish would change don't change, when the dangers are still there, where the discomfort is still there, where hard things are still there, and you don't depend upon idols to remove those things quickly. And your perspective changes from one in which you are praying to God and you are following God so that your desires will be fulfilled. But you come to a place in which you surrender it all to God and you wait upon Him. Something will happen. I'm going to heal you. 
Because your teacher that has been hidden from you, the revelation of God, the sensitivity to God, the ability to recognize God and God's, God's light in your life, it will be, it will be, um, it will be uh, revived. That, that ability to be able to hear the voice of God and to see your teacher will be revived. And sometimes what, what we need is some privation, some oppression, some situations that, in which we are actually sequestered or we are caught or we are, we are, we are limited so that God can begin to re- reveal himself. And he says, and your eyes will see your teacher. I think many Christians can't see their teacher. They can't see the Holy Spirit or be able to recognize the work of the Holy Spirit in their life. And I believe that what God wants to do is to reveal himself to us. And it's in the waiting. It's in the lack of options that we have, lack of idols around us that uh, provide an alternative salvation that God begins to reveal himself to us. So there are some of us, I sense, who are here and who feel, I'm in a circumstance that I hate. I wish it was not the case. I know the Bible promises so much better for me, but I'm not there. The promised land, I'm not in the promised land, even though the, the, the Bible promises me the promised land. And what God is doing is that He's, he's healing our diseased desires. He's healing the part of us that's constantly driven in our religion towards using God for the things that have to do with our own dreams. He's healing us from the way in which we tend to see God as a provider of provision and uh, resources for our dreams. We make our own dreams. We make our own ambitions. And what God does is that He begins to heal us. He doesn't necessarily negate those things, but He heals us of those elements that blind us to God. And so what he, what he does is that he, uh, he, uh, he begins to sequester us, he limits us, and as he limits us, what he says is that as that happens, you can't look to all these other things. You have no place to look except upwards. Have you been in that position? Perhaps you're already there. You're in that position in which you have no place to go but upwards. And for a while you see nothing except your oppression, your, your privation, and the dark cloud that's above you. And what God says is this, I long, I long for you. He says, therefore the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. How blessed are those who long or wait for him. I've seen people who have become very religious. They're praying all the time. They come for prayer meetings and all that. Especially when there's a problem. And then when the problem is over, what's really in their heart shows itself because they stop coming for prayer. And say perhaps they got an answer to their prayer, but they didn't get the teacher. They didn't get the Holy Spirit in full measure. They got what they wanted. 
And until they come to a place where their desire is for the teacher, for the Lord, the Holy Spirit, for the intimacy with God, the empowerment, they will get what they want and their lives will be driven by the things that they want and they will use God or they will use prayer or they will use intercession or, or seminars and all that. Or what if all the spiritual kind of uh, resources that are there in bookstores and in churches and all that and all the training and all that kind of stuff to get what they want. But in the end, once they got what they want, they will leave, but they will end up empty. They will have answers to prayer, but they will be empty. And what God says is this, I'm going to heal you of that so that you will actually have the desires of your heart that has been of a heart that has been healed. Some of us, we have long-standing desires, but those desires are diseased. If you get those things, they will kill you. They will make you sick. And what God does is that He brings us to this place where all our desires and all our dreams, all our sick dreams, are put on the altar, and God begins to do a work. When that happens, our heart changes, and it changes from wanting the things that we want to wanting the teacher, wanting the Lord. Because when the teacher comes, he will guide you, and he will answer your question. But he will answer it not from the point of view of what you want and, what, and, 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 and kind of your own questioning of like, what must I do to get this? He will answer, them, answer you from an intimate place. That's why somebody told me, you, ma- you want to marry a wife so that there's somebody to um, wash your clothes? Then just marry a washing machine. It's a lot easier. You'll just get that. But if it's true that you really want to be intimate and be close and to live forever with this person, with all the irregularities that come with that, you have to have a different desire. Some people want to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend because it feels good. I've seen people, even somebody somebody who was was attending our church, who dated for many, many years, who never never proposed to her, his girlfriend, because you know what he wanted? He wanted companionship. And he could get companionship without getting married to her. Because she was the she was not the object of his desire. Companionship was. And so what God is saying is this, I want to heal you because there's something about the thing that drives you that will always make you hasty, always make you rush and, fl- and, 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 and run away or flee because of the fact that what's really there in your heart that your desires uh, consist of is actually just for yourself. And so what God says, I will change your heart. And what God did in my life, I can see it so clearly, was that he brought me to a place in which everything that I desired was taken away from me. Everything that I prayed for never came to pass. I used to tell people, I don't understand why other people get their prayers answered and I never get my prayers answered. I've never, I, I remember telling somebody, a, a counselor uh, in my church, and, and saying, I've never had a prayer that I really, really 
prayed to God for something that I really wanted answered. And the counselor was very wise. He says, don't worry, it'll come. But if you are willing to submit yourself to what God wants and not, uh, stop asking what you want, your, your desires will change. It will change. And I've got to tell you, when God did that work in my life, I have, I'm hard-pressed to remember a thing that I prayed for that God did not answer or give better. But the, 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 the real need that we have is not to be fixed from our pain, but to be healed of our soul's desires. And some of us need to be healed of just the way we apprehend God and our dreams with God. Yeah? And so what, what, the, what they say is that um, you will, your eyes will see your teacher and your ears will hear a word behind you. This is the way walking in it, verse 21. Whenever you turn to the right, to the left, you will defile your gra- graven image overlaid with silver and, your molt- and, and molten gold. And so what he's saying is this. The teacher will actually not only teach you doctrines and teach you things, but he will, ch- he will open your mind to such an extent that when you need guidance, it will be forthcoming. Have you ever been in situations where you're praying for a decision or praying for direction in your life and God doesn't seem to be speaking? Have you ever had that? Have you ever found when you've asked for direction and you ask God for understanding about a certain thing and it's very frustrating, it doesn't come? Have you? <laughs> I have. I have. And a lot of times I'm always talking to young Christians or younger, young, younger people about that because they say, I prayed about this and no answer came, and no answer came, and no answer came. But here it says, if your teacher is there, you will turn to the right and he will, he will tell you where to go. Or before you turn to the left, he will show you where to go. I've realized that when God says he will be your teacher, he doesn't mean that you will have a repository of knowledge and you can go to that library and just take knowledge out. He says, I will be your teacher. That means I'll be personal with you. What you learn will depend upon your relationship with me. How you treat me, how you relate to me, how consistent you are with that. Amen? And how I teach you will be dependent upon where you are and there will be some things that you are too young to, learn, to know or you're not able, you don't have the capacity or the, the bandwidth to know, but I will give you the next thing so that with the next thing, if you grow on it, you will grow to be able to ask the next question and more and more and more. There are some questions that we ask the Lord that, that we cannot get answers on. Do you know why? It's too high. It's too profound, the question we're asking. We're not as profound as the question that we're asking. Does that make sense? Let me give you an example. My eldest daughter, Kaylin, was a sprinter in, uh, in, uh, in swimming, and she was very fast on the 53, less fast on the 100, but getting faster. But there was the 200 meters that was a real killer for swimmers. 200 meters uh, freestyle is, is a really tough race. It's, many people think it's even tougher than the, the longer distances because it's a sprint. So it's a very long sprint. And so... She used to be really frustrated that 
she would do well on the 50 and the 100, but not on the 200. And then there was a coach that we got to know who was really very helpful. He said, what you need to do is to, you, you need to build up, build up your strength and build up your stamina before you can do some of the things that you can act, you, you're wishing you can do it in the 200 meters. He says, right now, you can't win 200. You, ha- you have to build yourself up to it. So when you ask the question, how can I do be really fast in the 200? You have to ask the question, actually, what's my next stage? What's the next step? And so she practiced and practiced and practiced, and it took a lot of repetition, a lot of faithful, just pushing, pushing, pushing. And there came a time in which, now I'm, I'm getting the story a little bit kind of anachronistic, okay? So forgive me for, for not having the, 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 the exact um, uh, chronology, right? There came a point in which he was able to share with her a key to winning the 200. He says, you go out fast, then you go smooth, and then on your, and, and, and I can't exactly remember what he says, but then after that you go um, faster, and the 400 meters is four, uh, four laps, okay, four laps, 50 meters each. And on the last one, when you're exhausted, then you hail Mary. You just go and cry out to the Lord and call out to the Lord to help you. You cannot do it if you're not ready. Does that make sense? You have to follow the the regimen of training and build yourself up to being able to ask that question, how can I win the 200 meters? Does that make sense? And so she did. And I remember one of the, one of the meets, it was, it was, she, was, she was on the, on the first lane, I think, which is the slowest lane. And she did exactly that. And on that last lap, okay, that last 50, that's where everybody dies. She went all out for it, and she won. Now, if she had asked him the question, how can I win the 200 meters earlier without the repetitive, repetitive practice and all that, she would not have been able to ask that question. That question would have been actually inappropriate. Does that make sense? There are many questions that we may have about Einstein's relativity theory. We have many questions that we can ask. I asked my, my wife about physics that I have no capacity to understand the answer of. You can ask the question. Asking questions is easy. Just ask it in English. But to understand the answer, to have the understanding that comes, requires some growth, right? Hello? Now, many times as Christians, we ask questions, and it's easy to ask. We, make, we, 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 we come to God with this, with this problem, and it's easy to ask God about the problem, but it's hard for us to actually understand the answer because of the fact that we have not been used to having a teacher. What we do is that we go to a source of information, get that information independently and come back to it, and then we ask questions based upon, um, upon inform- information that we can get independently. But what God is saying here is this, no. Spiritual acumen and spiritual depth doesn't come just by being independent or autonomous. 
You have to actually come and be in relationship with me. You have to wait on me. Amen? That's really important because a lot of times our own society is based upon libraries, which is, which is a very important part. But in terms of learning, empowerment, being empowered, being imparted strength, in, in terms of learning things that are more intimate, more profound, more deep, what you need is something more than that. It has to do with a certain way in which the hastiness of our idolatry, the hastiness by which we hold on to our own agendas has to be let go. And you have to let the teacher say, I'm going to teach you what I want to teach you today. But if you have no time for me, you will not learn. You can ask all the profound questions that you want and you will come up with some answers, but you will not find an answer from me. So he says, so, so what, what, what Isaiah is basic, basically saying is this, in this place, in which I ask you to be repentant and, in to, be, and to be at rest and, and, and slow down and come to a point of rest, I will show you the teacher. The teacher cannot be found when we are rushing. You just can't find it. Precious things can't be found, cannot obtain from hastiness. In fact, you can't even have precious things that are really worth their salt if you have another agenda. There are certain things, certain bits of information that you can, you can get with your own agenda. There are certain things you can. I, wanted, I, wanna, I want to swim the, the 1,500-meter race and I, I need to know what I've got to do. Okay, there are certain things you can find. But there are... But the most precious things in life can only be found when we go to the Lord and allow our agenda to be set aside. Our fear of shame, our fear of being found out, our fear of being exposed, our fear of being um, destroyed, our fear of being um, taken advantage of. Put that aside and we say, Lord, you be the one. So when we ask God questions, we're not just asking individual and particular questions. We're saying, Lord, come and be the Lord of my life. And uh, the empowerment of the Lord is expensive. It costs us everything. It says, your teacher will not be hidden from you. I found that a phrase that has, uh, has actually um, been on my mind for a, for a while has to do with the fact that God, if he spoke to me, he says, I want to bring you back to the present. Because when you're praying, sometimes a thought comes upon you, upon you, right? A distraction comes upon you, and it moves quickly to the future. What is going to happen with this? Okay, I have a thought about an exam I'm taking. What's going to happen with this? And I immediately imagine myself going to the future or going to the past. What happened to this person? And my mind goes back to the past. Oh, yeah, this was the interaction I had with this person, that person. And what the Lord said, 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 said to me is very scriptural. He says, I am in the present. I am in the waiting. I am in the present. And your mind is so moving to the future, moving to the past, 
What's going to happen? What will happen if this happens? You need to know I'm not there. I'm not in those fictive places in the future that are cast out. Neither am I in the non-existent past anymore. I'm in the present. And if you want to wait for me, you need to be in the present. In this moment, as you open your eyes towards me, or you set your heart towards me, I'm here. You don't, don't roll, let your mind roll to the future, roll to the past. Stay in the present with me. Back to the present. Not back to the future, not back to the past, back to the present. That's where I am. If you want to have my presence, you need to not think about the consequences of what you do today. You have to just be there with me in the present. If you are there with me in the present, I will be your teacher and you will be fully focused on on me. Have you ever spoken to people in church or friends? You're talking to them and you see they're looking past you to see whether that person that they are really, really looking for has gone off already. Have you, have you seen that? It's very frustrating, isn't it? Right? You, see, you can see you're talking to them, and you're giving them their full attention, and they are looking past you, and you're, yeah, yeah. And the eyes looking there. We are like that with God. Lord, I want your presence. Lord, come, let bring your Holy Spirit, bring revival and all that. Bring revival over. Yeah? And that's how we are with God. What God is saying is this. You're going to have to give that up. Just give it up. Distractions can be dealt with if you give it up first. Don't try to use your mind to try try to fight those distractions. Give it up first. Then you can fight with it. Amen? And so what what God says is, I'm going to slow you down. Now, here's the deal. When we slow down, then the precious things come to view. If we don't slow down, we will just be empty because we'll pass over things, relationships, knowledge, um, important things, and we will just gloss over these things. And what will happen is that in the wake of it, it's just emptiness. Yeah? So I, I see that because of that, God takes us to the next part where it says, then he will give you rain, verse 23, for the seed which you will sow in the ground and bread from the yield of the ground and it will be rich and plenteous on the day that your livestock will graze in roomy pasture. See, the thing about the way in which the teacher works is this. He works by planting seeds. The seeds are not just seeds of knowledge, of, no, of cognitive knowledge. It's the seeds of the thing itself. Why are you looking at me like that? The seed is a seed of the actual thing that you're wanting to know about. If I want to know about swimming fast, I don't want to know knowledge about swimming fast. I want to swim fast. So when God says, I'll give you the seed of it, He's not going to give you the seed of knowing about swimming fast. I'm going to give you the seed of doing it. Brilliant. When God gives us a thing, He tell, talks to us about a thing, He's not talking about a thing only, He's actually planting the seed of that thing in us. If it's righteousness, peace, and joy, He doesn't make us professors of righteousness, peace, and joy. He makes us have peace, righteousness, peace, and joy. He puts a seed in it. Does that make sense? What God speaks about 
contains the thing. That's what the, the word davar means. The word of God is not like any other word. It contains the thing he's speaking about. So when, when, when Isaiah speaks about seed, he's speaking about something that is the opposite of idolatry. Because he's saying, I give you rich provender. I'll give you the knowledge of God. I'll give you the teacher. I'm not giving you knowledge about what teaching is about. I'm not giving you an, a doctor in education. I'm giving you the teacher himself. And so when God says, you don't, you don't haste away with, with idols and, and, and run away from me, I want you to stop, stay in the present, give up your idols, and come to me so that your desire is not to, for those things or to use me for, to, so to get those things, but for me myself. So that the way in which God teaches us is connected with appreciation of Him. He is not an instrument to get what we want, but He is the object of what we want. He is the one. He is the lovely bridegroom. Yeah, he's the bridegroom. He's the desire of all nations. All the promises of God, the promised land and all the peace and all the, the good stuff that happens comes from Him. So when we want to have a good life, we want Him. Amen? And so I found that sometimes God has to slow us down so that He can plant a seed in us. Or else we read the Bible and no seed comes. It's just empty. It's just empty. We just read 10 chapters and nothing comes. But a seed is a seed in which God gives you a revelation. He gives you something of faith that He has for you. And when it comes to you, it becomes a conviction. You have the seed of that thing. The thing is actually in your heart. It's not a knowledge about thing, not a statement about the thing, not a, not a, not, not, not a, 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 a passage or that's written out about that thing. It is the thing itself, but it's a seed that needs to be grown. Now, for that to happen, I recognize that our society is not geared for, for receiving precious things. One of the things that I have found uh, since coming to America was that life is very different from what I thought it was. What I thought it was. The Lord spoke to me, delight yourself in the Lord, dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness or befriend faithfulness. And if you want to grow a seed, one of the best ways that ha sometimes happens is when you're growing something from its infancy. And one of the things that I found once when I was, uh, when, when, uh, when our two small children were born, Kaylin and, and Eliza, was that I found it very, very difficult at first to be completely present to them. I just found it very difficult. If you wanted to go to Disneyland, I, found, I find absolutely no value in Disneyland. You may, but I, I, still, I still can't find the value of it. At first I thought, that's great. When, I, when somebody said, I'm going to take you to Disneyland, I said, great. There must be a lot to learn from there. Nature and, you know, it must be very educational. And they looked at me and they said, it's not educational at all. It's for fun. Okay. But because I had children, I went to Disneyland. I, made, I, I lined up in those long, long queues. All those long, long lines. It just, I found it extremely frustrating. 
being a dad, you actually have to do a lot of things that are very, very small. Imagine hours spent just folding small diapers. Just smalling, folding small diapers. I spent hours doing that. Bathing them. You're paying attention to a baby or a child who does not talk back to you or stimulate your intellect. You just are there. You're just there doing things that are well below your intellectual level. You just... I just... I just do this all the time. We're planning a church, preaching. But most of the time, it's not preaching or doing ministry. Most of the time, it's this. Folding, 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 folding. And there's piles and piles of things. And, and these babies go through them very fast. Poopland, just doing this. Seeds. And I think what's happened is this. As far as church is concerned sometimes, we have a client model of church in which we hope that we don't have to do this kind of stuff. We just do the things we are gifted for. And we'll have professionals to do the nice music, the nice worship, the, the babies, taking care of babies, taking care of children. We'll have all these things so that we can sit in the pews and listen to edifying things. But a household is different from a, from an, uh, from a, from a show. You cannot build seeds, you cannot build a household based upon very good performances. A household is built when we all get into doing things that are not our gifting. The things that we do are things that have nothing to do with gifting or being self-actualized. They have to do with life. They have to do with life. When uh, I received my butterfly to color and do that, I was immediately reminded of my childhood. I was going to color this butterfly. And I was going to color it, and it reminded when I, me of when I was a small boy just doing these things. I had long since considered those things absolutely inane. But when my family is doing it, when my children are doing it, and I know that people in the church are doing it, and I know that children in the church are doing that, I am part of the household, so I do it. Because I'm one with you. Even though I have many times considered coloring not really important. Coloring is for very young children or for old people who have, have uh, who are who are who, who need some mental stimulation. My mom d- does coloring; she does a great job. But there's a way in which I began to realize that with this whole whole deal with this, the, the 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 work that we're doing, I am committing myself to this household to do things that other people are doing. Amen. Because you are doing it. Because you are doing it, I also will do it. And I will also believe that God is going to be there for us as we do it together. And when we share, something will happen out of it. You see, you cannot build, grow seeds out of a client model, out of a model in which the church is a business model. It has to be a household. And, th- and that involves doing a lot of things that are service-oriented and out of love for one another. Amen? Or else we won't grow. We will be gifted, but we won't grow. And what we have is a model of church, 
of ministry in which very gifted people, very articulate people, very, very smart people become leaders. But they become leaders by virtue of their smartness and their ability to do certain things really, really well. But when they go high, they, for some reason, have this duality in which they are very powerful when they do whatever ministry they're doing, but they can fall into some very basic issues of sin. Because of the fact that most of growth is not about developing our spiritual gifts, it's about developing our life with God. And that means staying with somebody and letting that person talk about things that you're absolutely not interested in it, but because you love that person, you are interested in that, what they're saying. I remember once there was a time in which I was wanting to raise funds for a building that we, we were having for our church. And I was rushing because of the fact that, that we had a deadline. But I had an appointment with this old man. And he was in his 80s. And he was hardly a contribution to the church in the, in the material sense. He just come, but it was my turn to actually spend time with him. And so I spent time with him. And he was very, very long-winded. Very, very long-winded. So I did that thing. And he could see it. He could see it. And because he could see it, he just to irritate me, he just spoke slower. If there are people that you, you, you know who speak really slowly, they never get to the point. And they are in the household, you stay with them because God's putting substance in you. Because if you don't, if you can't do it, you cannot be a leader. You cannot be a leader. You are gifted, but you're not a leader because you don't have this, the patience of Christ. And so I just did it. I was supposed to only spend 45 minutes with him. During those days, my schedule was like on 15-minute 15, 15 intervals. And I, I wanted to go. And he could see my body language. I, was just, I, I just kept on trying to get up. And he said, what, what are you doing? I said, oh no, just stretching myself. And I was, and, and he could see, and I, he took three hours before he finished. Took three hours. By the end of two and a half hours, I was settled. I was not doing this anymore. I was just going. And then he rebuked me, you know. He says, Michael, I knew you were a wrestler but I wanted to see whether you loved me or not. Then he gave me a check for $4,000 for the building fund, not for me, but for the building fund. I was so, so chastened by that. I was so chastened. Because what he knew was, what, what was more important is that there was a substance of love that he was inculcating in me that I did not have. I just did not have it. Amen? So that's why I tell you, when we say we're going to be a household, we are committing ourselves to some very small, small things. It is the small things, like just daily repetitive things that we do, that are actually going to build us up. You know? And taking the analogy in swimming, you can go for seminars on swimming and all that, but in the end, 
It's every day going for it for two, three hours and just going back and forth, doing the same inane thing again and again and again and again and again and again. Because only that will give you the wisdom to be able to ask the profound questions about swimming. When, 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 uh, when Zephy joined this, this team, she was quite new in the team. Um, the coach did not know that she practiced with integrity. That means he, she doesn't cut corners. She just practices hard. And every practice, she practices her best. And I remember we were going for this senior meet. She was quite young. And uh, it was called the Kevin Perry meet. And she was going to do the 200, not free, 200 fly. And somehow, during the preliminaries, even though she was not fancied, she made it for finals. And the coach gave her a strategy. And the strategy was based upon the fact that 200 fly was very, very difficult. And because it was so difficult, you have to preserve your strength. She put that aside and she swam as she had been developed. And she went out fast. And she, was, she led the pack, of course. And her coach, after the second, second 50, third 50, said, you're going to die. You're, you're going to die. You're going to die. By, the, by, by one third of, by, by two thirds of the race, she was saying, don't die, don't die, don't die, don't die, don't die. Because she was going out so fast. And she won. By a long way. She didn't die. Because, you see, there are repetitive things that are needed that will set you up to be able to hear more profound things, more powerful things, more, more deep things with, with regards to any, any topic. Okay. And so, He will give you rain for the seed. What happens is this. When we are waiting upon the Lord, when we're waiting upon the Lord, what God does is that He appears. At first, you can't see the teacher. You can only see what everybody else sees. There are just things on your mind. Before long, you begin to feel the presence of the, of the teacher. And when, you, when I use the word feel, I, I mean feel as an objective thing which comes to you, not just emotion. And you begin to have, have a certain kind of extra thing that's there. I, can't, I don't know how to describe it. It's not sensory. But there's a way in which the presence of one who speaks, who is there, who actually lifts you up by his very presence, he comes in, all the waters begin to be displaced. All the waters of, of despondency begin to be displaced. Have you experienced this when you pray? You pray long enough, comes, and when he comes, all the despondency goes away. How do you describe that? Have you experienced that? Yeah? You pray. You come for daily prayer. You pray in the Spirit. You think nothing is happening. Nothing is being said. No, plenty is being said. But more than said, something is being developing. And what's happening is that the presence of the teacher begins to come. And he becomes present to you. Does that make sense? And he puts in a certain rhythm. You begin to see a certain presence of something. It's more than the thought. It's more than the feelings and all that. We pray that actually everyone in VCF will experience not just cognitive stuff, but stuff that in which as we wait upon him, the presence of the teacher will come up, come up and, and you will feel your soul being nudged or being pressed or being pushed by something that's there. You may feel despondent, 
But then after a while, something begins to, to, be, to form, and you may not be able to put your mind around it, but it begins to be formed in there. And when that happens, you begin to have what I call an inner rhythm. An inner rhythm. This inner rhythm is very, very important because it depends upon how you appreciate God. If you use God for your own devices or to her, for your own relief, you will not appreciate God like that. That's why during our daily prayer, we say, we spend time praising the Lord, praising the Lord. If you find that you have nothing to praise God about, or you find that it's quite boring, you haven't come into a relationship with God in which you appreciate God yet. Most of the time, what we want to use the scripture for is to get keys to this or do that. That's fine. But there's a way in which when we come to God, we appreciate Him. We appreciate Him. We distinguish Him from everything else. Does that make sense? That's why I like it when we actually come together, when we pray, we worship the Lord. And I wish we could hear each other praising the Lord because it's like a sound of many waters. When the first Americans came to my church uh, in uh, 1990 or 19, yeah, 1990, they joined us for prayer meeting. We would have about 100 odd people there and they would hear the sound of people praying in the Spirit, right? It would be like a sound of rushing water. Okay? At first, it would become quiet. But there's an inner rhythm that, that the Holy Spirit will bring into begin to find. And the whole church would actually rise with it. But this inner rhythm is really important because it's an intuitive thing in which the Holy Spirit sort of guides us, even without us understanding it fully, and, and builds up a strike on the, on the head of the devil. And what they saw is that as we began to pray, as we pray in the Spirit, there was a rise. And then inspiration would come. It was not coordinated. It just happens like that. The wave of the Holy Spirit. The rise of the Holy Spirit. Amen? It says, on the tops of the mountain, there'll be rivers that are going. From the tops of the mountain, from the place of prayer, from the place of intimacy, there'll be rivers coming down. And then in the night, you will have a song. And God will destroy the works of the devil through this. Okay, here's the deal. Have you found times when you are worshipping the Lord? Even today, you're worshipping the Lord and there's some intensity, an inner rhythm that comes up and you just want to clap. No? Yeah? Even suddenly you just feel, or you want to stamp your foot. Where did that come from? Is it from the music? Not actually. There's underneath the music, underneath the singing, underneath the physicality of it, there's an inner, there's an inner rhythm that's actually coming. Amen? Okay, I'm going to end very, very soon. At the end, it says in verse 31, for, the voice of the Lord of the, for at the voice of the Lord, Assyria will be terrified when he strikes with the rod and every blow of the rod of punishment which the Lord will lay on him, will be with the music of tambourines and lyres and battles, brandishing weapons. He will fight them. Do you know what this means? It means that, it doesn't mean that they're going to knock the head of the of Sennacherib to a rhythm with tambourines. That's not what he means. He means that there's an inner rhythm in which in the spirit, what happens is that in prayer, we can sense conviction growing. You and I need to be in this a lot. Because this is what's going to cause our spirit to get stronger and more sensitive to the, to the spirit. 
Go beyond praying English prayers, bring prayers which you know about, we all know about, which God also knows about. Pray in the Spirit, because as you pray in the Spirit, the inner rhythm actually begins to come, up, come forth more and more. And before long, you know, there's an intensity that's coming up. Blessed are the people, verse, uh, Psalm 89 says, who know the teruak. They know the striking point. How, how would you know it? It doesn't come from the music. It comes from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will say, strike now. And you can feel the faith going forth like, like crazy. Amen? For us to do spiritual warfare, we don't just bind spirits because we learn that by road. You have to hear the, you have to feel the rhythm of the spirit. That can only come through repetition. Just like you have to have feel for swimming in such a way that in that feel, you know when's the time to move. When's the time to break out? You have to have that feel. People talk about having a feel for the water. This is language that's, that's being used to try to get at something that's much more profound, that cannot be understood cognitively. It has to do with the sense of that conviction. The conviction that rises, it falls. You can know there's a difference between having conviction and not having conviction. For those who have never known what it is to have conviction, it's all the same. I stick my courage to the sticking place and try to have that. And try to believe. No, it's not that way. Belief comes or it's not there. You can't try to believe. If it comes, faith comes. And to be able to experience the, the teacher, we sometimes go through deprivation. So much so that there's nothing else to see except the wide expanse of space between us and God. And then God shows that He was here all along. Not because you, you, know, you have a theology of it, because he came, touched you. Amen? So there are certain things that we're doing as a household that are important. They seem really trivial. Seem really trivial. But it will get us out of our own individualistic kind of spiritualities for me. And when we do that, seeds actually get grown. And he says, I'll give you water and rain for the seed that I plant in you. Idols have no seed. You keep watering it, it's just nothing. But when God gives us seed, we wait upon Him. There's something. Now, as a household, we are faced with this. We can either be a congregation that's presentational, that's client model, in which we have people doing, do this stuff for us, or we get into it and we give ourselves to these small, small things in which God is building us into. But in this, prayer, loving one another, giving hospitality to one another, encouraging one another, praying for one another, yeah? doing acts of service for one another. When that we do this, actually God builds us up, up, builds up our substance and grows the seed in us. Amen? Let us pray. Praise you, Lord. Just lift yourself up. How's your praise life? I want to encourage us to just praise Him until praise bursts forth, until it becomes something more than us consciously trying to praise. Until praise comes to you and you can't stop yourself. You can do it in your quiet time, you can do it in daily prayer. Lord, we stand before your glory.
and recognize that we as small human, pusillanimous human beings have no appreciation for the grandeur, the holiness, and the otherness, the godness of you. Our, sh- our praise is short and short-winded. But we want to know you. We do want to know you by not looking over your shoulder at something else, but because you're worthy to be praised. You're worthy of our whole life, even if you don't give us anything. Bring us to the present, Lord. In our, in our privation and oppression, we ask you that you will now bring us to yourself right now, in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you. We do look at the stars, and we see that what you build is amazing. It's way beyond any person could ever even imagine. So, Lord, how much more are you building your church to be a sign for the nations and for those that you are drawing to yourself? So we ask right now, the anointing right now on every brick, every living stone, that they will be well connected with all the stones around them. We ask for Holy Spirit mortar. We ask for Holy Spirit communication and Holy Spirit forces and dynamics between the living stones all around us right now. We pray for these signal groups right now, the youth, the children, the preschoolers, our small groups. Come right now and build us as we give over our agenda and we let you come through the small things right now, Lord. Come and build, Lord. Amen. Father, I adore you. Lay my life before you. How I love you, Jesus, I ourselves to you we have uh, no help but you we thank you that even though we experience the bread of privation and the waters of oppression you have given to us the teacher yourself and so lord we come before you and we ask you that you take us into yourself that we will be yours complete set the agenda for our prayer set the agenda for our life in jesus name Amen. 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 God bless you.